This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's a little later in the week, but we had to get our guy Jay Lehman in off a of bye week. But uh, it has not been a sleepy week around Illinois football as Ryan Walters gets a contract extension. Can't wait to dive into that with Jay Lehman. Uh, but also, Brett Bielma testing positive for COVID-19 will not be on the sidelines as we know it for the Iowa game. And wow, what another big game. A ranked opponent on the road that's been pretty good for Illinois here recently. Uh, no off weeks, Jay. Uh, is is uh, Brett Bielema was once mentor, uh, Bill Belichick, like to say no days off here. No, none at all. And these next two games, as we, we've stated, if you've been following the podcast weekly, that we really thought the, the last three weeks of the season were um, kind of statement weeks. Uh, not only get to a bowl game, I should say last three games, because I was have a bye week this week uh, or this past week, uh, just because those are people that uh, are teams that love to recruit the same types of players that we recruit and oftentimes get players uh, out of the state of Illinois. So I think the challenge is we, we're one and zero against those three teams this year, Brett Bielema, right, and Minnesota. And um, we got to go to Iowa, who is probably a, a little bit stronger than Minnesota, as we saw last week. They, they got a chance to play Minnesota head-to-head. So kind of a unique ability to scout um, Iowa if you're Illinois. I think it's a, it's a good – it's a good measuring stick because you rarely get to play teams so close together, right? Where you get a picture of like, we just played Minnesota 10 days ago. They just played Iowa three or four days ago. And so we know that roughly the same players and teams, because teams evolve over the year. Injuries happen, right? They play a different style. They do different things. Just look at Illinois. And so we have a very good playbook. And one thing I was, you know, not breaking it down too much, but Minnesota was able to run the football against Iowa, which was interesting. And so I think as we head into Iowa, um, and we say it all the time, I hate to, you know, be repetitive and redundant with what I say, but the top tier teams can run the ball and stop the run in the Big Ten. Yep. The middle tier, middle tier teams can do one or the other, and the bottom tier can do neither, right? And um, on the day, and the games we've been able to run the football and stop the run, we've been successful against very good teams on the road, and it's going to come down to that against Iowa. Yeah, I can't wait to break this down with you, Jay. I want to get nitty-gritty with this game um, because I I do agree with you. I think Minnesota showed some things that um, Illinois can do well, um, and and that gives you a little bit of hope coming into this game, even if Illinois is a 12-point underdog and hasn't won against Iowa since 2008. Um, So we'll dive into that here in a second. But Brett Bielman, the big news, out with COVID. Uh, Obviously, we hope he he seems like he's not having too bad of symptoms, so hope he gets healthy right away and, and gets back as soon as possible. But how do you think that impacts a team not to have a head coach in person in practice he's obviously pulling some strings virtually here but to not have him there this week in person and of course not on the sidelines not interacting with the team on Saturday well you know I think it matters differently for different programs um 
I think we have thought at times that we've got the feeling that Brett Bielema has been here before as far as game management and getting extra possessions, whether it's one at the end of the half or, or maybe just, you know, milking the clock. Uh, we've also had times where we're like, man, we wish he would have went forward on fourth down, right? But I think on a Big Ten road game uh, against a ranked opponent, opponent, it's equivalent to not having your starting quarterback out there. I think it's that big. Um, now, there's different varying degrees of starting quarterbacks, as we know, right? But um, just the leadership and, the, you know, if he's not there, then one guy's got to take off what he's doing in this co- in this. Uh, you know, case George McDonald, I think, is going to be the interim one-game coach, head coach. And so somebody's got to – and he, he has a lot of things to do with calling the offensive plays, I'm sure, and uh, along with Tony Peterson as far as what, what works, what doesn't, receivers. and But uh, – so I think it's – I think it's that big. I, I do. And I think it's big for Brett because this is his alma mater, right? This is what, uh, you know, what, what Illinois is aspiring to be. Right, and so I think the game is more than just a win. Uh, it was kind of a, a statement: "Hey, we're here to compete. We're here to play, kind of like with Minnesota." And so I do think it's a big, big loss. Uh, do I think they can make up for it? And Ryan Walters and Tony Peterson do a fine job calling stuff. Yes, it's just some of those critical situations or what to do in critical situations, and also his ability to talk to people when they have a bad play, get in the face of maybe Brandon Peters, and say, "Hey, let's reset and do this." Yeah, so Jay, I want to ask you, because he's a coach that kind of lets his coordinators coordinate, right? Like, he's not Lovey Smith calling plays or Lincoln Riley calling plays during a game. So, like, what does Brett Bielen do during a game? I mean, you mentioned they're grabbing a player, but for for people that don't watch it or don't know, like, what does he do during a game that is so valuable? Well, so the obvious ones are all penalties and fourth downs, right? I mean, like, that's a head coach thing. Timeouts, that's a head coach thing, right? Those are three big factors that can influence the game. Uh, he's also a head coach will often tell a coordinator too in his ear in that area. We've stalled out so many times that that high end zone, uh, excuse me, high red zone area just past the alumni zone in between the 30 and 40, he'll often get on on the third and five and say, hey, listen, you've got two downs here uh, rather than one down. So you might see a run on third and five to make it fourth and one because the guy knows we're going to go for it, right? So those are the, the things as far as, and then also, um, they're going to draw, draw, uh, you know, draw the meta narrative based on how they want the game to go, guys. We want the game. We want to control the football. We want to. We want to take the kick from the jump, or we don't want to take the kick from the jump. If we can, we want to run into the boundary as much as we can because this guy is here. Uh, but we also want to take our shots. So he's giving all the feedback. I didn't give a lot of that feedback prior uh, with the game plan, and then. Lastly, you know, he's one of those guys, he's not concerned with the calls. So, I mean, he doesn't have to be there with one unit all the time. He can float between two units, right? So Peterson has to be completely focused on the offense and Walters has to be completely focused on the defense during certain times where Bielema has the chance to, hey, if I see mentally a player had a pick, I need to pick him up or he did something good or, hey, I feel that when Josh McCray gets in, he's got a different juice to him. He'll talk to the Tony Peterson, let's give McCray a shot. So there's all kinds of different things uh, that play into it, you know? So uh, those are kind of the head coaching things. 
obviously there's lots of stuff off the field, recruiting, motivation, everything else. Uh, but those are things in game you think about for a head coach. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Ryan Walters is not going to be the interim guy here, uh, but uh, he gets a, it's a big week for Ryan Walters Broyles award sure. nominee, which is uh, for the top assistant in the country. I, I think there was about uh, 10 other uh, big 10 assistants that got that, but Gets this extension, Jay, just 10 games into his Illini career here. You and I have praised him throughout the year with his ability to adapt and and to create success out of a group that has not had success here recently in in the program. So what do you think this extension, a a big bump in pay, an extra year on his his, uh, contract here, what do you think this says about Illinois and Ryan Walters? Well, first, I don't think we've seen an ascension like we have the last two months of Ryan Walters. I mean, after the Virginia game, and after the UTSA game, to say that he would be on the Broyles Award list uh, is, is shows you the marked re- improvement. Um, interestingly enough, I remember him getting interviewed post-practice after those games and saying, I got all the confidence in the world of my guys. He didn't seem to be shaken. He kind of has that demeanor. Brett's mentioned that, right? Very, I wouldn't say soft-spoken, but confident, assurant, uh, assured demeanor. Um, so first and foremost, in reading between the lines, I don't know if this happened or not. Uh, it sounds like Josh Whitman was really proactive about it. I don't know if he breached the subject with with Brett or it was in their, you know, weekend meeting or what it was during the bye week. Um, but it shows. I remember what was a big deal. I think we signed Rod Smith to six hundred thousand a year or five hundred thousand a year, right? And to lock up a guy like, uh, you know, Ryan Walters for that one, it shows they're proactive and Josh Whitman's committed, right? Uh, we know that. Uh, it's been said, probably never written about, that Brett Bielema, one of the reasons he left Arkansas, Wisconsin for Arkansas, was that he never thought his assistants could get paid what they were worth, right? Uh, and Arkansas let him do that. Yeah. Uh, Whitman's shown that he's willing to do that. Uh, so that's great. But why has it happened? I think, I don't know if you'd find a better coach in the country that's taken what he's had and said, you know what? I don't need to run exactly what I want to run. Let's run what they want to run. Uh, that works. And he's done a tremendous job with that. Because remember, working with 18 to 22 year old kids here, and sometimes you're trying to force a, a square peg in a round hole and uh, just doesn't work. Yeah. And I think what we've heard over and over, he's very humble. He's tapped to two or three other coordinators, uh, former coordinators on the staff to create the Illini defense, not some canned defense. And it's been very innovative. We've gone through it, whether it's the Maryland game, the Penn State game, uh, the Minnesota game. Uh, we, we broke it all down in these podcasts of kind of his unique play, uh, you know, to combat some of the stuff the offense is running at. So it showed that he could game plan. It sounds like he's a, a great recruiter. I know that we got some transfers because of him too. So it shows that he's got good um, relationships. Uh, but yeah, a, a great, a great, Great move by Illinois. It's been a long time since we have a D coordinator that's that sought after. Yeah, and uh, I think it says a lot about – I'll reiterate what you said about Josh Whitman and his commitment. I think, you know, basketball has shown a big commitment and maybe being proactive rather than letting him test the market. Maybe that had an influence. I'm not sure. But uh, they have done this with Rod Smith, and I know that one didn't work out. But I think it says what Bioma thinks about Ryan Walters too, right. uh, that he said, yeah, I'd love to keep this guy. Like, I don't want to lose him. Um, and Ryan Walters staying here, Jay, instead of – testing maybe there's an sec defensive coordinator job and that's what i want to ask you is ryan walter's probably here for another couple years with this extension what's it what's his career arc look like because i think back when you were playing if a coordinator got any kind of head coaching job and mike loxley might be proof of this you took it like you you just kind of had to take those opportunities 
when you get in the Big Ten now, coordinators or assistant coaches in basketball, you make so much money, you can be a little bit more picky. So what do you think his career arc looks like? Well, that's a really good insight, what you just said there. And going back a little bit, uh, Whitman being proactive with his basketball assistants or whatever, I think, was it Antigua we were in a bidding war for with Kentucky, right? Yeah. And we saw, you know, like in real estate, these multiple offer situations, which I'm in, that the price gets enormous, right? Yeah. Emotions come in. And so if you can get it when nobody else is going after him right now, you can usually, it might be expensive, but it might, you know, you might save some coin. And so, and I think that's the era we're in where it seems desirable now to train under and be a good coordinator. We've seen this with um, Marcus Freeman at Cincinnati, and he moved on obviously to take the D coordinator job at, at Notre Dame, well, had some head coaching interviews at least. We're not sure if there were um, offers at all, but uh, you know, we've seen that. And uh, I think what you make a great point is there's been enough guys that jumped to their head coaching job too fast. They've gone into the head coach graveyard, you know, and, and in the NFL, I'll quote the, the great Glenn Mason, uh, former Minnesota coach. He said, you know, in NFL, those guys trade jobs when they get fired. Right. I mean, I think John Fox has been the coach of the Carolina Panthers, the Denver Broncos, the Chicago bears. Right. And, and, you know, good for him. Right. Je same with Jeff Fisher. And we, we can name some other guys, right. When you're climbing the ladder of a college football coach, it's very hard to get a second chance. Now we've seen it with Jackie Sherrill. We've seen it with Ron Zook. Uh, we saw it with Mike Loxley because he went to the remedial school of Nick Saban's head coaches school to get another job, right? Um, so we see it with Steve Sarkeesian, but a lot of these guys, you only get one shot. And so I think people are more picky. Uh, we've seen even Luke Fickle be picky at Cincinnati. We know he's had offers probably within the Big Ten, but waiting for that right job, I think. Um, and so when I look at the, the career arc of a coordinator, uh, I often hear coordinators say uh, they want to be loyal to some of the guys they first bring in. When I talked to Ryan Walters uh, when he first took the job, uh, he thought it was the right time to leave Missouri. He had learned a lot, and he had saw, saw through a whole recruiting class there or uh, that he had recruited with junior seniors in high school. I think he was there six years, and he just felt like he owed it to them to be there. Um, and so it shows some loyalty. I think you're going to see similar to that. The guy he recruited, he's going to be here at least two or three more years through 2024. Um, but kind of the creme de la creme thing to, to, to get a job, I mean, you get a higher coordinator job, you know, obviously the best coordinator jobs in the country is if I'm a, a Georgia or Alabama DC, right? I mean, that, that's a writing in the wall for a head coach. But the second best job in the country is somewhere in the American conference. Um, it, it seems like the American, uh, whether it's Memphis, whether it's Houston, whether it's UCF, uh, just they, they seem to get better opportunities uh, to coach rather than a Mac coach, um, in my opinion. Uh, we, we see it probably some in the Mountain West, if that's even around anymore, right? But it seems like that's the stepping stone. We see Tom Herman come out of there. We've seen Scott Frost come out of there. We see Mike Norvell come out of there. We've seen Justin Fuente come out of there. You know, he struggled as well as Vatek. But I, I think that's what I see when I look at the market uh, it's either I go to a, a premier coordinator job or I get way more paid somewhere else um, or I, I go to the American. If I'm a hot topper, I never mean I can't go to the Mac, right? right. Absolutely. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, Jay, let's talk about this Iowa matchup. Um, and and I, I think you made a great point about Minnesota playing them last week, and that's a common opponent that Illinois just played. But I also think it's, it's good for Illinois because... Minnesota and Iowa, similar style teams, right? I mean, it's kind of the type of team this Illinois group has kind of succeeded uh, against, kind of this what Illinois wants to be as well offensively. So is this a similar game plan as Minnesota uh, going up against Iowa? Uh, I think so. I think it is a similar game plan. You know, I had a chance to watch that film because I'm, I'm doing the Indiana-Minnesota game this week for Big Ten Network. So I was watching Minnesota-Iowa, uh, the film of it. And what's interesting is – I saw Minnesota really attack the edge against Iowa better than anybody has all year. I mean, as far as getting outside on that defense, I mean, they they had some decent runs, and they're under their fifth or sixth string tailback. I mean, Mo, Mo Ibrahim has been out, obviously, since week one, but they've had, you know, Potts and some other guys go down. And I just saw, number one, I thought, wow, Illinois' defense owned – Minnesota's offense way better than probably the best defense in the Big Ten owned Minnesota's offense, right? So number one, I'm like, okay, that, that's interesting. Number two, I didn't think they were going to be able to run against on the edge like they did against um, against Iowa. Iowa, the way they played, you're going to give up some double moves Iowa-wise, and so they got you know a, a long pass or two in there. But if Illinois can secure the edges against that Hawkeye D, uh, on the run game, and that's where Chase Brown's been explosive. Um, that's where I'm, 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 I'd be interested. Now, Minnesota did a lot out of 11 personnel, kind of spread Iowa out a little bit, where we tend to do it more out of 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, or even 13 personnel, even more linemen. And so sometimes you get a condensed street fight against Iowa. It can be a long day. So I'm curious to see if we condense the box, can we move the football? 
Yeah, and uh, I, I was going to mention, you You mentioned it, Chase Brown. Like, that's where he's really seemed to succeed. I, right. I think this is a really interesting game for Chase Brown because, I mean, this is a loaded Big Ten, right, with, with running backs. And, sure. and Tyler Goodson's a really good one. But Chase Brown might be having a, a better year. So, like, this is probably just the narrative guy in my head. Like, I think this is a big game for Chase Brown to establish himself as an all-Big Ten, maybe second-team running back behind Henderson at Ohio State and, of course, Kenneth Walker at Michigan State because he's had massive games against Penn State and Minnesota. I know Charlotte, even if you want to throw that one out there, the, the line has big wins. He's had a big game. So I feel like for Chase Brown, this could be a, a big game and kind of earning the – the respect and kind of maybe some attention that he doesn't get compared to some of these other backs. I think that's a great point. When we look at Chase Brown, really the only knock on is just early season injuries, yeah. right? That held him out. I mean, that's really been the issue. I will say whether he was slowed by those injuries when he actually got to play, I didn't notice it. Right. Um, I think Chase has grown a little bit in his patience, in, in his vision. He's a guy that just used to hit the hole right away. Um, and he's gotten better at that. Uh, he's obviously the best offensive football player we have. And if we're going to win, Chase has probably got to be over that century mark, no question, or or combination of 75-75 with, with McCray, who's, who's hopefully healthy and over the flu, right? So um, I do think Chase Brown is a great back that not a lot of people have heard of um, because he plays in Illinois. And Illinois is four and six still. Uh, we just hope he stays here. It doesn't go to the NFL or, or doesn't transfer, right? Because the transfer is a two-way street. <laughs> All right, so what do, you, what do you need to see out of Brandon Peters in the passing game? Uh, because this Iowa back seven, Jay, the linebackers are really good. The defensive backs, obviously, they lead the country in, in interceptions and have had many pick sixes this year. So I think Brandon takes care of the ball pretty well, um, right? No interceptions this year. I don't think he had any last year. Uh, I think he's got one uh, this year. So what do you need to see out of Brandon Peters other than just taking care of the ball? Sure, it's the surgeon, right? Um, whether we like it or not, he's going to take his time. And Here's the thing about Iowa. It's not just this year. We go back to the last five years. They lead the nation in picks, right? They're going to play their zones defense. Everybody knows where to line up, and they're going to have eyes on the quarterback and make a break on the football. That's what they're going to do. Now, whenever I have eyes on the quarterback, I am susceptible to double moves and pump fakes. We saw Tanner Morgan do it last week, right? One pump on what they call the sluggo, the slant and go route famous in Minnesota coming off the RPO. Um, you know, they, it worked really well. The zone, the, 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 um, the slug and go did, but uh, the double moves, but they're always going to have their eyes on the quarterback. And they're going to rally to the football. One thing I saw as an adjustment that Mike Sanford did at Minnesota, where I wonder if Tony Peterson will take note is uh, after the Illinois game and, and, and Iowa kind of sat in that eight to 12 yard range of, where that slant hits in the RPO game, the run pass option. Uh, I think when people saw that on tape, what Illinois did, uh, Iowa safety usually sit there, but I could see them taking it away. And so what Mike Sanford did is he threw in some quick game uh, for Minnesota. And, and quick game is, is speed outs, is hitches. And when you're playing with your eyes on the quarterback, you've got to be off your receiver a little bit, right? Because if I'm looking at the quarterback and, I, and my receiver's right here, he's going to run by me. So I've got to play with some natural cushion. So I've seen quick game, quick game be successful against Iowa. We saw it last week because I was like, We're, you're not going to be used to the RPO. We're going to do exactly what Illinois did. But the adjustment for Minnesota was let's do quick game. I think Tony Peterson looks at that tape and says, we can do some quick game. All right. We can, we can run some hitches. We can run some quick outs. 
we can run uh, to tight ends and to Isaiah Williams and get some good throws, okay? I also like what they did in the Minnesota game to build off of, which is the boot game, yep. some quarterback run. And, um, you know, we see this a lot. I've seen this a lot in the NFL. Just everything is so cyclical uh, offensively. But we're seeing a lot of outside zone with naked bootleg off of it. You watch uh, that 49er game versus the Rams, and all the 49ers are doing is running the ball outside zone, and then Garoppolo is a really good boot quarterback and throws to George Kittle on the boot. And we're seeing a lot of teams do this. That's not a new play. That, that's been around a long, long time. But it's always adjusting. People adjust to these spread games. Okay, well, we're going to line up in two tight ends and run the football to your edge because you're going to be light on the edge because you get more DBs in, less defensive linemen in, and we're going to boot game off it. Much what Illinois wants to do. So I think the boot game, I think the naked game, when I say when I say naked, that, that means you're, 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 you're booting around with no guard, no yeah. linemen at all protecting you. I think um, we've had the power pass in there where we fake the power and we try to throw. The only problem is when you pull the lineman on a power, that guard, now I've got a short edge with just a tackle there. And I got Julian Pearl trying to hold off two defensive linemen. And I, it's, it's hard to get that pass off, right? And so those are the things that I think passing-wise can give Brandon Peters a shot, right? They're going to take one or two shots for sure. I think Casey Washington or Deuce Span of Healthy will be that guy. Or maybe Isaiah Williams. But um, those are the things that I think, what I think schematically, in looking at the Minnesota tape, what Illinois could take from that. Really good stuff. Uh, all right, Jay, let's go to the, the other side of the ball here. Um, Iowa quarterback situation. Um, obviously, Spencer Petras had a great, I guess, last three quarters against Illinois last year. But he's uh, the second-team quarterback. The guys who cover Iowa think it's going to be Alex Padilla. Um, either way, th- those guys don't scare you, right? Um, and, and I feel like Illinois, it, it's kind of like the last couple games they've played – um, make the quarterback beat you, I would imagine. Stop right. the run, force some long situations, and and then make those quarterbacks beat you. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, I, I, here's here's the thing. We've said this. For as good as Iowa has offensive line, I think we got an NFL center right now Yeah, uh, playing. No no question, probably a first-round pick. Um, they haven't been able to run the ball as effectively as you think they would be able to, right? And Goodson's a good back. It's certainly not because of the back, right? Um, some of it is is because Petrus has, has struggled some, but uh, you know Alex Padilla, who is probably gonna, w- whether it's because Petrus is is hurt or or benched or, or whatever, it's going to be Padilla playing, uh, we think. And I think you're number one. You're going to try to stop the run, of course. But uh, if there's one guy we got to watch out for, I think it's Charlie Jones. Charlie Jones has shown the ability to really be a big play guy, number sixteen for Iowa. Uh, Laporta typical Iowa tight end. They're always going to be solid at tight end. Nico Regani, more of their possession guy as well. Um, I, I would think you would see a Spoon uh, doing a lot of duty on on Charlie Jones. And I think Kirby Joseph's going to be over the top. Uh, I think we're going to see Sidney Brown down low trying to stop the run as well. Uh, I think they're going to try to make Alex Padilla beat you. The key, though, with Iowa is this. Iowa doesn't score much unless their defense sets them up. Yep. Their defense sets them up a lot, though, uh, whether with field position or turnovers. And I think when you're in Kinnick in November, it can be difficult when they get turnovers, the crowd gets into it, and maybe you don't stop them on – maybe they don't score on offense, but they eat up enough time possession-wise. Your offense doesn't have enough time to to, to actually execute and, and control the football. 
you mentioned Sam Laporta, Highland uh, native, and, and Brett Bielema keeps talking about how, man, I keep seeing these in-state guys on other teams in sure. Minnesota, Iowa, back-to-back, I'm sure gets sure. his blood boiling uh, a little bit. But a tight end like Sam Laporta, what, what is the key to defending a good tight end like that who's probably going to play in the NFL? I think first and foremost is don't give him a clean release. You know, I mean, tight ends love it, and receivers in general love it when you don't get your hands on them, right? And I think what young players always forget to do, that they're so focused on their job, sometimes they don't realize what would make it difficult for the player across the other side, on the other side, to do their job, right? And whenever you get your hands on a line, on a receiver or a tight end, it messes up their timing. They don't like hands on them. At the same time, it's hard to always have hands on them and focus on that when they could be running the ball down your throat, right? So it's a progression. So one, don't give them a clean, clean release. I've seen a lot of defenses set that Ryan Walters has brought have brought guys head up on the tight end. I've seen Kalen Tolson do it. I've seen Isaiah Gabe do it. Uh, and not giving the tight end a clean release and trying to gunk that up, right? Um, I think LaPorta will probably be a better blocker than most tight ends. And so uh, that'll be a battle. And so number one, Yet you have to, and I will just say it again, you have to uh, not have them have a clean release. And then number two, if you stop the run, you can really mitigate the tight end play action because I was going to run the boot three to five times a game, um, usually to the quarterback's strong arm, and it's going to look just like the zone to everybody, um, just like the zone play you know, to everybody on the field. Maybe you might be able to tell from the sideline yeah. because it, it's easier to see, but when you got big guys in front of you, it's going to look like a zone play. He's going to boot it, and Laporte is going to be streaking a dragon deep across the middle. And that's what we're going to have to be ready for. So, first of all, clean release. Second of all, stop the run because the play action is when the timing gets open. Jay, uh, it's weird to say this. You mentioned it a little bit. Like, Tyler Linderbaum is got probably going to be a top 15 pick uh, sure. as a center, yeah, yeah. which is which is very high. Um, he, he's unbelievable, but – the rest of their offensive line has struggled, especially at offensive tackle. It's really weird to say that. Iowa was struggling on the offensive line. While Illinois, their edge guys, after that Rutgers game, I think they played well against Penn State and they played well against Minnesota. Uh, what, what do you think Carney and Gay, like, is this a matchup they can exploit? Uh, you know, I think so. And I think with the boot game, it's really critical to keep contain. And boot's going to, the bootleg and naked is going to be a, big part of Iowa's game plan. And so, I, like I said before, I when I watched Minnesota, I told myself, I'm really going to miss Owen Carney when yeah. he's gone. I, I, I don't think I'd ever said that before. I mean, he's been a solid player, certainly had a solid career for sure. I mean, he's like top 10 in sacks, I think, and whatnot. And so the guy's been productive, but uh, he really showed me how disruptive he was. And, you know, Whenever people talk about Joey Bosa, great defensive lineman with the Chargers, obviously Ohio State, it's not so much the sacks, guys. It's the disruption of timing. Uh, Sacks, TFLs are great, right? And Chase Young probably, you know, had more than Joey Bosa did. But Joey Bosa on run or pass is disruptive. And I've just seen Carney be more disruptive. He's made plays, but he's been disruptive. I think Keith Randolph, we've, we've shown clips on this podcast. Disruptive, right? I mean, he might have three tackles in a game, but he might play a great game. And so just understanding that in those D-line positions, it's really about disrupting uh, the timing of a play, making running backs cut in the backfield, which is going to lead to a negative or, or no game play, and, of course, pressure on the quarterback. Jay, before I let you go, I want to ask you a few quick things about the rest of the Big Ten here. Um, I, you would have told me eight years ago, 
that Mel Tucker was going to be close to a nine-figure coach. Uh, in college football, I wouldn't have believed you because I was a Bears fan, frustrated with his defense under Mark Trestman. Sure. Reports are he's going to sign a $95 million extension with Michigan State. Um, how has he done this? Well, first of all, Michigan State's had one Hall of Fame coach get away from him before, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that has haunted them with Nick Saban. Um, the funny thing about Saban, I think his last year he went to like the Citrus Bowl, never went to a Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, wasn't, I mean, was good, but wasn't considered like a marquee job, right? Uh, marquee candidate. So number one, I think you have the history there that we don't want to lose out on a great coach. Okay. Number two, Mel Tucker's fairly young. You know, uh, I think he played at Wisconsin during Barry Alvarez's first Rose Bowl time. Right. So he's a big 10 guy. He's got experience at all levels. Got, I think, two championship rings, one at Ohio State, one at Alabama, lost one at Georgia. Uh, So he's had, you know, won a couple championships um, in the Big Ten and outside the Big Ten as an assistant, has some NFL experience, and has shown himself, uh, at least in the transfer portal, we haven't yet seen the recruiting yet, uh, as being very, very competent, right? Um, I never thought that people, I think Michigan State fans were hoping for Luke Fickle, uh, they got Mel Tucker. Um, I'm not saying they were disappointed, but he certainly wasn't a world beater at Colorado. Right. Um, but to his credit, he's done amazing things. I think it's interesting the timing of it, uh, the Josh Whitman approach of getting out ahead of it. I think they might not have had a chance if he goes on to beat Ohio State and Penn State, uh, which I don't think he'll beat Ohio State. I do think they'll beat Penn State. But if he wins those two, I think you'd probably have to say LSU, USC, he has to be a a prime candidate for that, right? Uh, And I'm not sure that USC has had a prominent African-American coach either. I think in LA, that could be something that's very desirable. I really do. For that recruiting market, I think, um, you know, he's obviously a great football coach, but I think that adds a whole other element to it. I think that's why James Franklin was on the list as well. Um, So... You know, I, I, I think they're trying to get out ahead of it. Yeah. And Ohio State, whether they win or lose, they, they decide this is, a, this is our guy. They don't want anybody else to have a chance to have that guy. And so I think all those things kind of create a perfect storm. And I'm happy for Mel Tucker, very impressed for him. He's got a lot more saving in him than, than I thought he did. You know, you watch him on the sidelines, kind of got the saving scowl and kind of de- a demanding for pr- uh, protection. But I got a chance to call his game um, against Western Kentucky earlier in the year and just was very, very impressed by Mel Tucker I think he's going to win a lot of football games at Michigan State or wherever he's at. Uh, and and I've, I've always thought, like, um, Michigan's still number six in the country. They lost to Michigan State, and that's a ba- – like, the way they lost that was it was a bad loss because they'd be 10-0 and and maybe number four or three in the country right now sure. uh, heading into this final stretch of Maryland and then Ohio State. But Jim Harbaugh's 41 and 17 in Big Ten play, Jay. His his two predecessors were 24 and 32. So whenever I hear this hot seat talk, I I get it. You got to beat Ohio State or Michigan State at some point, right? But he's been a pretty good coach, right? I I don't know if he's the the top tier coach, but he's a very good coach. He's a good coach. Uh, He certainly doesn't do himself any favors with press conferences, right? I mean, just the way he is, he's a little bit quirky as a head coach uh, compared to others. But that's who he is, and at least he's true to himself. Uh, you know, when he first got there, they had more recruiting success. 
they, they've cooled a little bit in recruiting, but I think they're playing better sound football now. Um, and I, I, I really do think they're sinking into their identity. They're, they're one or two game breakers away from winning the Big Ten. Because I think Ohio State has dropped off a little bit. P- part of that is because, uh, you know, a lot of teams have super seniors. There are no super seniors at Ohio State. You just go pro. Right. Or the next young guy. So they're kind of hurting this year as far as, hey, some, some the gap isn't as big. Uh, you ask Purdue, you, they would say it's still pretty big, though. I mean, obviously they played and, you know, I think they had 42 points with eight minutes to go in the second quarter or something like that. At least Ohio State did. And they're just explosive, unlike other teams in the Big Ten. Uh, we'll ask one for you, Jay. Wisconsin, six straight wins. Big Ten West favorite uh, going to the final stretch. Nebraska at home at Minnesota. They just do this every year. Uh, they, they do this every year. Not that they lose three of their first four every year, but um, Jim Leonard's defense is ridiculous. Talk about a guy that has stayed as a D.C. longer than I thought he would. Uh, sure. but, but Paul Chris, Jim Leonard, all those, it's Wisconsin. They, they just do this every year. I mean, outside of Russell Wilson, they really had never had a world beater at quarterback. I mean, Stocky, Honeybrook, you know, going back to Stocko. And, I mean, all those guys, right? I mean, even back to Daryl Bevel back in the 90s. They've never had a dude. Graham Mertz has struggled. But when you can run the ball and play defense, um, I, I have actually Wisconsin winning the Big Ten Championship. You heard wow. it here first. I, I think they're going to beat um, – I think they're going to they're gonna just – it's going to be really tough for C.J. Stroud in that man-to-man defense with the blitzes at him. It's something he's never seen before. And I don't think the Buckeyes are as great up front as they have been in the past. Uh, they've lost a ton defensively. Um, and so I, I really believe that your Big Ten champion, well, when they win the last two games, they're going to win the Big Ten championship. And uh, it's unfortunate for the Big Ten. I don't think they're going to play off team, right? right. Uh, but I do think Wisconsin is a team that's gotten a lot better throughout the year, that they've gotten healthy. And um, maybe it wasn't as bad as we thought when Wisconsin played Illinois. They've, they've done that to about everybody since we played them. Um, and, it, you know, even without Graham Mertz being a world beater. Yeah. And, and two of their losses are to top 10 teams now, Michigan and Notre Dame. And Penn State was healthy at the time when they right. played them in the opener. So, And um, I think he had like three or four turnovers at critical yeah. times against Penn State. Ended up losing by one or two or something in that first week of the season. So it, the, the three losses are deceptive. Um, you you got to think Jim Leonard. I don't know if they're going to wrap him up on a long-term deal. Maybe he isn't a long-term deal. But you've got to think that his – brand at some point is going to get him a head coaching job uh it's obviously got to be the right fit right. for a guy like him uh and i just don't see him staying at wisconsin because i think paul chris has at least a decade left in him and i don't think paul chris wants to go anywhere no i agree with you kind of reminds me of dave aranda where he's he's at that point where he could be really picky and look what dave aranda is doing now uh, sure. Taylor doing, doing really really well well jay layman thanks as always man before we get out of here you got a prediction for illinois iowa I, I'm great. I don't really get to predict yeah. it much because usually we're talking about the, the the previous games. But, you know, I, I really want to be an optimist. You know, I think when Illinois, I've counted out Illinois, they've surprised me. When I've counted on Illinois, they've disappointed me, right? That's and why maybe, I'm picking the opposite of what I want to pick, Jay, or what okay, I'm thinking gotcha. to pick this week. So, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, Iowa hasn't given up more than 24 points in like 35 straight games, right? And so I think it's going to be tough to score. Uh, but I think we're going to put up 17 and I think we're going to win 17 to 13 with some great red zone defense. Uh, we're going to need to get some turnovers and at least be even in the turnover uh, matchup. I think we got an edge, at least in our punt game and, and kicking game. 
but defensively, they're probably the best defense in the Big Ten. So um, credit where credit's due. Uh, a lot of it comes down to, to who's your quarterback, Padilla and Peters. Who's going to play better? Neither has been a world beater, but we'll see. Great stuff as always. Jay Lehman will break down the game next Monday, man. Looking forward to it. You got it. Great stuff as always from the great Jay Lehman, and it's going to be a busy week on this podcast. I'm going to chat with Joe Hendrickson, City Suburban Hoops reporter, a guy I really respect uh, about Illinois basketball recruiting and the latest edition of Ty Rogers, as well as Marez Johnson, the 2024 commit. So that'll be coming up. We're going to talk some ball with Michael Tulip uh, and break down what happened in that Marquette loss and look ahead uh, to a big week ahead in the Kansas City Hall of Fame Classic. Uh, a couple big opponents there, including Cincinnati. Cincinnati and either Arkansas or Kansas State and of course the big man returns Kofi Coburn so we'll chat about that with uh, Michael Tuop later on in the week and of course Joy Wagner and I heading out to Iowa City we'll have your post-game reaction to all of that and it's been an interesting week to say the least for you Illinois fans and uh, we're covered it all at Illini Inquirer we'll have more on Ty Rogers commitment on the site uh, we got more on Illinois Iowa coming up this week uh, George McDonald will be on the radio show tonight so Joey Wagner will have the latest on that Derek Piper will have more analysis of the Ty Rogers commitment and I've been working on my Illinois Iowa preview as well and I'm gonna do something crazy uh, with my prediction for Illinois Iowa, because my predictions have been awful. I'm four and six this year. Most of us have been awful. Piper is the lead dog at six and four. Uh, so I've been trying to maybe just follow what he does, and even that's not working here recently because he's hit a rough, rough stretch. So uh, this Illinois team is confusing. Once you buy into them, uh, they they lose to Rutgers. Once you just say ah, this ain't happening, they they beat Penn State and they beat Minnesota. So. We'll see. Uh, it always makes for interesting Saturdays and usually very competitive games. And Jay Lehman on board with an Illini upset victory uh, calling his shot in Iowa City. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Illini Choir podcast. Follow our podcast. Subscribe to us. Rate us. Review us. We appreciate when you do that. And uh, if you're not a VIP member, please do so. One dollar for your first month. Try us out. And uh, Michael Tulip will have a film breakdown later in the week. That one dollar will be worth that uh, alone. And, of course, everything else we got on the site until next time have a great day take care of each other we'll talk to you next time on the one inquire podcast mtv's official challenge podcast is back for another season and so are we i'm tori deal and i'm anisa ferreira the wait is over guys all stars four is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts